Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. Today, I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Honored to have this special opportunity to interview Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, who is a retired emergency physician, an intuitive spiritual mentor, a speaker, an artist, and the author of Not Yet, Near Life Experiences and Lessons Learned, his award-winning memoir that walks readers through a series of near-death experiences in the emergency room that opened a window into the spiritual world. Jeff is board certified in internal medicine and is a fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians. He and his wife, Sheila, live in Salt Lake City, Utah. They have five children and five grandchildren. For 25 years, Jeff helped more than 60,000 patients to heal their bodies. With candor, humor, and empathy, he now helps people to identify their gifts, find their own answers, and heal their souls. He delights in bringing people to their aha moment, and he has been quoted as saying, helping souls heal, heals me. This is surely going to be a very fascinating and enlightening interview, but first, we need to take a quick minute to show some love to our sponsors. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, Jeff. A warm, heartfelt welcome to Grief at Rebirth podcast. Let's begin. Okay. Our re- Go ahead, Jeff. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be with you. Oh, such a pleasure. Hey, everyone. I got to tell you, he's a one. This is a cool dude here. You want to hear this. You want to hear this interview. Let's begin our interview with this question. Please share how your intuitive gifts began shortly after a farm accident took the life of your 15-year-old brother, Stan, and continued on through your rowdy football and rodeo years. Yes, we don't talk about some of my rowdy years. (laughs) She's she's learning things about me. Um, My brother died in a farm accident just a month before my 12th birthday. And I didn't think it really had an impact on me, frankly. I saw the agony of my parents, but I thought I got through it unscathed. Um, And then when I was 16, I was driving a car much too fast on a narrow, windy country road after dark with two friends in the car, nobody wearing seatbelts. And a voice spoke to me and said, you need to slow down. And for some reason I listened, it it, it wrapped itself around me. I, I, I just, I experienced it more than heard it. I slowed down. I went around the corner. I hit a car head on. There was a lot of damage, but nobody was injured. I think I might've died that night if I hadn't have slowed down, if that voice hadn't have spoken to me, but still, I didn't really think much about it. And I had those experiences more and more. Uh, and, And then 20 years after my brother died, he came to me 
and he said, you have to go talk with our mother because there's things she's never told you about my death. Wow. And that got my attention. So I went and visited with my mother, just the two of us, one quiet afternoon. And she told me that day for the very first time, she said, before Stan died, I always knew where you were in the house because I could hear you singing. After your brother died, you stopped singing. And that was the first time I realized that it had a major psychic impact on me, my brother's death. And then when I finally started to share some of my experiences decades later, people asked me, how did this all start? Where did this happen for you? And I had to go back in time. And I finally realized, I think it started with my brother's death. That's when I started having these spiritual experiences. I don't, I think that, uh, that opened a, a, a window for me that never fully closed. Wow. It's, it feels like it was there, but it, that was, that was the, the, the important thing that triggered it open. When you were an emergency physician, you received messages for spirit that helped you care for patients, including diagnoses you hadn't considered. Please tell us some of these stories, including what you sometimes witnessed. I know you saw patients, spirits leave the body and also arrive, right? You saw both. When you saw a person's eternal essence, leave or arrive their body. Could you share that? That's amazing, Jeff. Could you share that with us? Yes, on occasion. um, Usually not when I was caring for a patient, interestingly. Usually when one of my colleagues was taking care of a patient and I didn't have any responsibility for that patient or any concerns about providing medical care, I think that opened my heart and made me more available. Um, If I was taking care of the patient, I was so wrapped up in the orders and the diagnosis and all these other things that I spirit didn't have as clear an access. But I remember one time walking into a room where my colleague was resuscitating a woman who had drowned in a hotel pool and, and she had no heartbeat. And, and I became aware of her presence, her outside of her physical body. And she was just kind of getting her bearings, kind of getting a feel for what it was like to be out of her body. And just as she's kind of becoming aware of these things, she was gone. She suddenly just was gone. And I wondered where, what happened? Where did she go? And then I looked over at the cardiac monitor and she had a heartbeat again. She was back in her body. Oh my goodness. She hadn't gone anywhere. She was just back in her body and I couldn't perceive her spiritual uh, connection at that moment anymore. Um, so I, I had a number of experiences like that. I, I saw people leave their bodies when they died and they'd communicate with me before they left this realm. On one occasion, I was impressed that I needed to do a, a scan on a patient um, that had no real medical criteria to need a scan. And I talked with the patient about it. I said, you don't meet medical criteria for this head scan, but I really think it's maybe important. And he, he, he agreed. He kind of joked with me and said, yeah, sure, go ahead and order the test. Was it like a message that you got or a feeling you got? It yeah. was just a feeling. It was like a knowing. Um, and 15 minutes later, the radiologist called me with the results of his head scan. He had this accumulating hematoma in his brain uh, that was life-threatening. He wanted to get up and go home before I ordered the scan. And if I'd have let him do that, he, he would have died. But because I ordered the scan, I was able to call a neurosurgeon. And 15 minutes later, he was in the operating room having this blood drained. And uh, he had no ill-toward effects, to my knowledge, after that. 
kind of makes you wish that every single doctor that you go to had your ability, you know, because it's like a really extra special ability that you have to hear from a person's soul or whatever. That's wonderful. So after 25 years of not telling anybody that you had this special ability, you intuited that it was time to share many of your special experiences in your award-winning book titled, Not Yet, Near Life Experiences and Lessons Learned. Please tell us about your book, why you call them near life experiences instead of near death experiences, and share with us the heavenly message you received about your book as you boarded a plane to a speaking engagement. Six months after I stopped seeing patients, I woke up one day and I had this knowing in my soul that it was okay to start sharing. It had never felt right to share my experiences prior to that time. When I started to share uh, with a few selected individuals, uh, I could see how reassuring and validating it was to them. Six months later, I'd written my book. Wow. I, I call them near life, or near life experiences because I have a lot of friends in the near-death community in addition to my own experiences. And everyone agrees that when they're out of their body, when they're in their experience, they are closer to life than they've ever been. They're more alive. It's more real than anything they experienced in their body. It, they're closer to their ultimate life than at any other time. And that's why I call them near life experiences. Would you say that's uh, because all the illusions are stripped away? That yeah, they're in the, touch with the reality of whatever, what this world, what, what we're all about, as opposed to um, how we're conditioned while we're in the body? Right. Many near-death experiencers, when they come back, will say something like, it was so real. This feels like a dream. That was real. And, and that's a consistent sentiment expressed by people. And I had spiritual experiences uh, that confirmed that to me as well. And so that's why I call them near-life experiences. You mentioned uh, when I was uh, boarded a plane, and you got a and you got a message as you just after you wrote yeah. your book. Yeah, I was sitting in the airport with a stack of books in my suitcase, going to speak for the very first time publicly about my spiritual experiences. And a woman sat down next to me and asked me where I was going, what I was doing, the usual questions. And when she found out the topic of what I was going to be speaking about, she just, her whole countenance changed. And she looked at me and said, my grandfather just died. And he's come to me a couple of times. And she took one of my books and she got on her plane uh, and I went and got on my plane. Like you said, in the introduction, I'd seen in excess of 60,000 patients at that point in my career. And on the plane, to my destination, Spirit spoke to me and said, you will help more people with this book than you helped as a physician in the emergency department. Changed my whole perspective on the rest of my life. It's an amazing blessing also, because for me with the podcast, Jeff, and I know you feel the same way, you have a, you have a, a life mission now and you're really helping, this is helping so many people. It's, it's just, it's a blessing, it, it really is. Um, I have to read this passage from your book. By the way, everyone, it's a wonderful book and I totally enjoyed it. I want to read this passage and get Jeff's take on something in it. This is from your book, Not Yet, and it really resonates with the mission of Grief and Rebirth podcast. Quote, the mist 
of darkness and the pains of life are inevitable. They're on the path we all must tread. Trying to avoid them through drugs, alcohol, sexual exploitation, or any number of other destructive behaviors only takes us away from the ultimate happiness we truly desire and the rewards that await an authentic life. Jeff, what is an authentic life and what are the rewards that await an authentic life? Because so many of us are not being true to who we are, I know. An authentic life for me is honoring who you are and living in the present. I used to think that was cliche, living in the present. The past is gone, the future's not here, you can only live in the present. And I thought that was cliche. And then one day I realized something. I've had profound spiritual and I'm grateful for them and they've taught me many things. And I anticipate divine spiritual experiences in the future and I look forward to them but I can only experience the divine in the now. That's the only time I can come into the presence of source. Uh, and we spend so much of our lives laboring to become something. The world would have us believe that we're becoming something. And the problem is, is we spend so much time becoming that we forget to be what we are right now. And, and, and part of what I've learned in my path, in my journey uh, about an authentic life is we are eternal souls of infinite, unchanging worth. And it's important for us to live from that perspective, making decisions about and from the perspective of who we are, not who we think we're becoming at some time in the future. But that said, who we are does can also change and transition through time as we learn more and we become more and more enlightened, right? But it's sort right. of like an acceptance of who we are in this point, not negating the fact that we can continue to grow. Right. We continue to grow. We continue to progress. And we may be a completely different person a month or a year from now. But we shouldn't allow that possible anticipation to rob us of experiencing what we are now, who we are now, and what we can experience in the present. That makes a lot of sense. And you also state in your book that we can ease one another's burdens simply by forgiving one another, that we should give that gift freely and earnestly, and we should give it more often. And we should also learn to forgive ourselves. That's a biggie. Please speak to us about the importance of forgiveness, not only to others, but also to ourselves. Forgive freely, forgive often, forgive early. Uh, All right, so someone has hurt you, someone has harmed you, and the forgiving is more about for you than for that person. Yeah. But yeah. how do you do that if that person, so tell our listeners who are saying, yeah, but how do I forgive or how do I deal with that? Can you give us some? A lot of people talk about repentance and I'm fine with repentance. I think we can all improve ourselves, of course. But if you think about it, repentance is a really very selfish perspective. It's about I'm making myself better. 
forgiveness is a completely selfless thing. I can give forgiveness to anybody, anytime, and it's not dependent upon their actions. They don't have to come and apologize to me. I can simply forgive them. And when we forgive, we let go of a burden. We let so go wait a minute, forgiving is not letting them off the hook necessarily. Well, it depends on words, I guess. I don't want to get caught up in semantics, but uh, you can forgive somebody and still not invite them back into your life. If they're, tr if they're untrustworthy and they cause destruction everywhere they go, you don't have to have them in your life. But you also don't have to hold resentment uh, toward them either. You can forgive them and love them unconditionally and still choose to not have them in your life. That's okay. I call it detaching with love. I just, I just send them love, but I back up a little bit. And um, what about forgiveness to ourselves, Jeff? I was uh, in meditation one day and spirit spoke to me and said, you're here to love yourself as you are. I said, whoa, wait, wait a minute. That can't be. Uh, that's, that's contrary to everything I've been taught all my life. I must be listening to the wrong voice. And then I was <laughs> taken to some, some ancient texts uh, where uh, we're taught to forgive others and to forgive ourselves and to love others and to love ourselves. And it dawned on me that day, something that never occurred to me before. Generally, when we think we have received an imperative from, from the divine, we feel like we should honor it promptly in the present. And it occurred to me that day, the only way I can love myself today is to love myself as I am. That's the only me that exists. So it wasn't a rationalization. It wasn't uh, uh, an excuse to love myself as I am. It's an invitation. And the only way I can honor it today is to love myself as I am. I can love next week or next year's version of my thinner, more compassionate self. If that exists a year from now, I can do, I can love that person then. Uh, today, I love myself as I am. And that's called self-acceptance, which is so important. I, that means so much. And in Not Yet, you highlight the remarkable near-death story, and this, everyone, is amazing, the, uh, the remarkable near-death experience story of Jeffrey Olson, who lost his spouse, his son, and his left leg in a tragic automobile accident. Please tell us about the shared death experience. I'm sure many of our listeners have never heard of a shared death experience. The shared death experience you had with Jeff's deceased wife, Tamara, in the emergency room and give us a taste of Jeff's near-death experience. And by the way, full disclosure, everyone, I'll be interviewing Jeff Olson on the podcast at a future date. So that was an amazing story in your, in your book about that shared death experience. You want to share that with our, with our audience, please? Yes. It was 24 years ago this month. It was the end of March, 1997. Uh, Jeff Olson was involved in a horrible car crash. As you mentioned, it nearly killed him, and it took the life of his wife and his 14-month-old son, Griffin. His seven-year-old son, Spencer, survived with uh, virtually no injury. Jeff was flown to my trauma center. Um, he and I had never met before. I went into the trauma room, and he was unconscious on the gurney, and there was a bunch of people taking care of him. Standing above him in the air was his newly deceased wife, Tamara. And I saw her, I experienced her presence. Uh, she communicated with me. 
I had never met her before, but I knew who she was instantly. Uh, the room got quiet for everybody but me. Everybody else was doing their tasks, but for me, it was like somebody turned the volume off on the television and I experienced her. I walked over and I looked down at Jeff and I, and I uh, assessed him briefly. And while I looked down at him, I could still see Tamara standing behind me in the air because I could see in all directions at the same time. Um, I sent him off to the operating room. I never expected to see him again. I went home and wrote one sentence about it in my journal and went to bed. And then a month later, a nurse who also had a spiritual experience that night in the trauma room grabbed me by the arm and insisted, she drug me to Jeff Olson's hospital room and insisted we tell him what I'd experienced. And I reluctantly shared it with him. And it was at that time he wept and proceeded to tell me how he'd left his body at the scene of the accident before he was even extricated from the car. And he'd experienced Tamara as well in the, in the air above the accident. And she said, you have to go back and raise our other son. And, and he and I have been oh, dear I'm friends. That's quite a story. Wow. So we've been dear friends ever since. We still speak together often. In fact, we're speaking in a sh uh, thing tomorrow together. Um, a shared death experience you mentioned is one like I had where somebody else died and I had a profound spiritual experience and I was awake and alive and alert and healthy, not on drugs, not having a seizure. Uh, there is no explanation really from a medical perspective about the experience I had. And it's often referred to as a shared death experience. It's, it's amazing. Could you share what your guides have taught you in some of your darkest hours? You talk about that in the book. And you've also stated that as the veil was drawn back, you experienced eternity and felt whole. Please tell us more about this, Jeff. I was in a really, really dark place. It was a really, really difficult time in my life. And it went on for about four, four to five years. Was this while you were still an emergency room physician or after? Yes. I was an emergency room physician. And in fact, this was before my experience with Jeff Olson and his wife, Tamara. Um, and I had asked Spirit if I could help a friend with her spiritual burden. Her husband had died and she was a widow with six children. And I wanted to help her and I didn't know how. And I had this profound spiritual experience. And I asked Spirit, I said, can I carry some of her burden for her? And the answer to my surprise was yes. Wow. And that heavy, horrible, mourning, sorrowful, dark grief that was in her life settled onto mine. And it was with me for about five years. On one occasion, it was so heavy and dark and so imposing. I, I literally thought that I might die. Mind you, I'm a, I'm a physician. I thought I might die. And a voice said, this is how Beck felt the day her husband died. That was the name of the woman whom I was trying to help. Wow. I was given that experience vicariously. On one occasion, I prayed and I asked that I might be relieved of that darkness, that horrible, heavy feeling. And Spirit spoke to me and said, not yet. That's where the title of my book comes from, that experience. I was just coming out of that incredibly soul-stretching experience when I met Jeff Olson. Our first real substantive conversation we had together after uh, he got out of the hospital, uh, he was really struggling because some of his experiences didn't fit with some of the things he'd been taught. 
all his life. And he was struggling through this. And after our first real conversation, I came home and I wrote in my journal that I was finally grateful for those years in the darkness because I knew the answers to Jeff's questions and I knew how to help him. What a blessing. And that's what you're also paying, passing it forward to so many other people now, which is such a blessing. You washed the feet of a homeless man in the ER and you saw his divine nature. Please share that experience of what you saw. It was winter time. It was cold outside. There was snow on the ground. This gentleman had holes in his shoes and his feet were in rough shape. He was disheveled. He had tattered clothing, long unkept hair, uh, beard. He struggled with uh, addictions. He was the opposite of everything the world defines as success. Uh, and there's, you, you need to provide good care to somebody's feet when they're in that condition to prevent real serious long lasting. This came upon him. He was just sitting outside the hospital or whatever. No, no, he was a patient. I walked into the, yeah, I walked into the room and there he was on the gurney. And we were the only two people in the room. I filled a wash basin full of warm water and put some soap in it and sat down at the foot of the gurney. I removed his shoes and took off the last threads of his socks and I proceeded to wash his feet. And something miraculous happened. That veil uh, everything temporal and physical, it was all drawn aside. And I saw who he was. I experienced his divine nature. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I was in the presence of God. I went in there thinking I was going to minister to this man. And then I realized he was there to serve me because he was the antithesis of everything the world defines as success. And yet I saw his divine nature and I viewed every soul since that day differently because that's who we all are. We're always sitting next to God, whether we're in a worship service or in the gutter, that's who the person next to us is. That's who we are. That's amazing. It's beautiful. You state that love and empathy are real and eternal. Please explain why empathy is such an important trait for each of us to cultivate. And for those who lack empathy, is there a way for them to develop it? I could think of quite a few people in this world who need to develop some empathy. <laughs> when I was in that really horrible time in my life, when I was carrying that burden, that spiritual burden for a friend, um, I was given that experience I told you about where spirit said, this is how she felt the day her husband died. I was given that experience vicariously. I'm not a woman. I haven't lost a spouse. And yet I had that horrible, heavy, physical burden. And I was told, this is how she felt. I went to speak with a friend of mine. He was twice my age at that time. And he'd been in, he'd had a soul stretching life. He'd been in a foxhole in Okinawa. Um, wow. And I, I talked with him about this one day and he just looked at me and he said, empathy is a good thing. Empathy is what this life is about, in my opinion. Um, when we learn to experience how others feel, when we have empathy for them, all judgment stops and we become one. And I think that is the ultimate uh, 
purpose in our existence on the, in this realm is to learn to love, to have empathy, to become one. Makes total sense to a girl who got pulled out of a car with the words, be loving and kind to everyone echoing in her head. You mentor clients in 10 countries on five continents, helping people to become their most authentic selves. When did you begin to know that you exist to help souls heal? Please share a story of someone you've mentored, how that person's soul healed and the difference your mentoring made in that person's life. Because I bet you a few people are gonna to wanna to want to talk with you after this interview. So let them know how you, what is that like? When I first published my book, people wanted to get together and visit with me about the book. And we'd have these long conversations about the book. And quite unexpectedly, during those extended lunch times, I sometimes would be given messages for them, or I would discern their spiritual gifts, sometimes gifts that they weren't even aware that they had. And as we'd talk, I'd ask them questions that would be given to me. And, find, and sometimes they'd answer the question and then their eyes would widen and they'd realize, oh, that's the answer to my question. I just verbalized it out of my own mouth. And so that's what I do now. It was that, that little tagline, that mission statement was given to me one day. I exist to help souls heal. And, and I'll give you one example. That very evening, I went to hear my friend Jeff Olson speak. I wasn't speaking. I just went to support him. And he does this horrible thing I hate. <laughs> he makes everybody stand up and face each other in pairs and look into one another's eyes in silence. And it, it's powerful for a lot of people, but I never liked it because it makes me uncomfortable. But I had to do it because I was sitting on the front row. And I turned to this guy next to me. His wife had already turn, turned to her best friend. And so there was nobody left but me and him to look at each other. And he, he was really uncomfortable. And he started looking away. And I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it easy for him. I'm going to look away too. And then I heard that message that had been given me earlier in the day. I exist to help souls heal. And I thought, I'm going to love this man enough to help him and give him what he needs. So I looked him in the eyes and we looked at each other for a prolonged period of time and he just broke down and wept. And at the end, without ever saying a word, he gave me a hug and then he thanked me. Uh, over a period of several days or a week, I did some sleuthing, sleuthing around on uh, Facebook, found his wife, whom I'd never met before, and she invited me to come meet him in, in his hospital room. I went on Christmas Eve to his hospital room. I walked in and sat down and before I could even ask him what happened that night, he started to talk to me. He said, when I looked at you that night, Spirit said that we were fellow travelers and if he told me his story, I'd believe him. And it's, we had this profound experience that day in his hospital room. Several weeks later, he died. Wow. Those two encounters were the only experiences we had together in this life. And yet I feel like I've known him for an eternity. And I felt like I came into his life at the time he needed me and vice versa. We're all here to help one another. Yeah, and you witnessed him. You witnessed him at the end of his journey, which was a tremendous blessing as he was getting ready to transition. I think that's wonderful. And why do you say that it is important to honor your grief and the grief of others and that there is no single right path to doing this? You of all people certainly know about grief. 
when my father, when my brother died, my mother wanted to go to the cemetery. She felt closest to her firstborn son at the cemetery. She felt uh, his presence, I guess. Uh, she felt comforted when she was there and she wanted to go often. Initially, she wanted to go daily. My father hated going to the cemetery. It, for him, it was a place of darkness and sorrow and grief and he hated it. And I didn't know this for 20 years. I later found out that he got to the point where he dreaded coming home from work because he knew mom would want to go to the cemetery and he knew to be a supportive husband, he'd have to go, even though it was a horrible, painful, miserable experience for him. They never talked about it really this way. They never got any counseling. They, uh, they just muddled through. They got separated. They were separated for over a year, I think, and nearly divorced uh, because they grieved differently and nobody helped them understand that each person's grieving process was just as authentic as the others and that they could support one another without having to be the same. Uh, you know, some people get mad if you don't go to the cemetery often enough. Other people get offended. But everybody does the process differently and we need to honor that in my opinion. I agree. Fortunately, my parents were able to get back together and they're still together today. That's great. I agree with you because even today, when it doesn't even come to grief with different things, people feel differently about going to an event or not. And there's often a lot of this pressure. You should, you should, you should. And I tell people, don't should yourself. You need to be true to yourself, you know? And that, I, that that's very in keeping with what you're saying. You um, visit a tree you call your stand tree. And you continue to receive visits from your deceased brother, Stan. You want to tell us about that? What I refer to as my Stan tree was we planted the summer he died. He died in June. We planted a tree in the front yard. My parents still live in that house. It's now been more than 45 years. And uh, that tree is still there. And I still lay under the shade of that tree in the summer when I go to visit my folks. Uh, it's my stand tree. And he still comes to me occasionally. He came to me a couple of years ago when I was in meditation and he touched my hand. And when he touched my hand, the walls and the ceiling of the building faded away. And I was in this profound, glorious place that I think a lot of people would describe as heaven. He led me through and he showed me around. He gave me a life review and he showed me the days where my course in life had taken a, a, a significant turn. And he showed me how he'd intervened for me on those days on my behalf. Wow. Then he showed me uh, my, the day of his death, but not from the perspective I'd seen it from as a child. He showed it to me from the perspective of my parents. And I experienced the agony and the sorrow and the loss that my parents felt. And then he looked at me and he said, go tell our parents not to be sad anymore. Tell them I'm fine and I want them to be happy when they talk about me. Wow. What a profound message that is for all of us. Uh, and I, I actually can relate because that is what I get often from my husband. That is, um, they really want you to be happy when they're on the other side. So everyone, Jeff has also written some other interesting books. I'm going to get him to talk about them. He has a novel called Who Buried Achilles? 
and you have a series of children's books about Muck the Duck and Friends. So I have two eight-year-old grandsons. Would they love Muck the Duck and Friends? They would. I was riding in a car with my then three-year-old granddaughter, very precocious girl with a great vocabulary. And she said, Papa, tell me a story. We were in the car, so I had to make it up. So I told her a story about Muck the Duck. Muck learned something about bullying. Um, and she loved it. And three days later, she was telling my wife about it. And Sheila said, Jeff, you have to write this down. So I wrote it down. And then I found an illustrator, just a really gifted illustrator. And it was so much fun making the book, I made five more. So there's a series of six. And uh, yeah, they're about 500 words each. They all have a, a good, valuable moral to them. Uh, Ringo the Dingo lives in Australia. He learned the importance of just being able to say, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. So yeah, they're great books. They're life lessons, but they're, they're, but they're fun for, for kids. And who, uh, who, and who did bury Achilles? Um, I was doing consulting work for a medical device company, and I spent about five weeks one winter in Europe, uh, traveling around uh, half a dozen different countries by train. And I started writing this book about uh, a person that lived. They lived in Zurich as an adult. They were born in Bayou, France. And uh, they had a very spiritually broken life. Uh, their, his, his father was horribly abusive, and, and he was trying to find some purpose in his life. And I started writing the book while I was traveling by train around these different areas in Europe. So all the places that uh, the main character in the book stays at in his hotels, his restaurants, they're all places I stayed at and ate. And it, it, it's, it starts out as a pretty gritty book, but it's actually his spiritual journey and he finds something along the way. Okay, that's great. So everyone add that one to your list too. Jeff, everyone wants to connect with you now. So spell it out, tell them how to connect with you. I'm sure you have a website, email. I'm on Facebook. Facebook? Yep, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I, I'm on, uh, I have a website. It's jeffodriscoll.com. Let's spell that. J-E-F-F. J-E-F-F-O-D-R-I-S-C-O-L-L.com. Okay. But if you can't remember that, just go to helpingsoulsheal.com. That's beautiful. And you state that helping souls heal heals you. You of all people, what is your message about the importance of healing that you'd like to share with our audience? When I first started helping people in this way, I was talking with a friend of mine and he looked at me and he said, I think you're a healer. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I grew up in a very traditional background. And I, my opinion was there was one healer and it was uh, uh, a divine person. And uh, I said, I, no, I can't be a healer. And he looked at me and he goes, I disagree. I think you're a healer. And I think you should ask for permission to use the word. So I took, him, I took his advice. I came home. I changed my clothes. I went for a run because I, I get a lot of good downloads when I'm out running. And while I'm running, I asked, I said, is it okay to call myself a healer? And the creator came to me. And on this occasion, the, the presence was a masculine presence. And he said to me, 
I, I said, is it okay to call myself a healer? And he, he, he kind of chuckled and he said, of course, I made you a healer. And with those few words, I got this download and I understood, oh, he's not diminished by my successes. If I'm a really good healer, it doesn't make him less. He's not jealous. Not at all. He's an, you're an extension of him. And so I came home and that was the day I put healer on my business card and on my website. Uh, and that was my journey. Wow. And Jeff O'Driscoll, what is your tip for finding joy in life? Finding joy in life. I think I've already said it. Finding joy in life is realizing that you're exactly where you're supposed to be, doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, and that if you love others, you are love. It's not about experiencing love. It's about being love. And that was a long journey for me to get there. It's a long story too long to share right now, but it's about love. And love is joy. And love is why we're here. I, I was getting ready to speak to a large group of people one day, and I was wondering about the message. And I take these things very seriously. I asked, I said, what is the message? A voice came to me and told me three things very clearly. Tell them they're enough. Tell them they're divine. Tell them they're loved. That was the message. That's joy. That is joy. That's beautiful. Jeff, you transitioned from saving lives in the emergency room to becoming an inspiring spiritual mentor who helps people to heal their souls and rebirth themselves. I'm sure there are many in our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience who are now eager to read and learn from the many special insights to be found in your book, Not Yet, Near Life Experiences and Lessons Learned, as well as wanting to experience your unique and inspiring intuitive mentoring. Thank you from my heart for the honor and blessing of interviewing you today. It has been a truly eye-opening and touching interview. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us, because we know you do, on social at at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued. Many blessings and bye for now. Mm -hmm.